Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Preliminary estimates of the Summit County Medical Examiner's Office show that 158 residents die from drug overdoses during the first 10 months of 2017, a new report said. Nearly 2,200 Summit County residents sought help in hospital emergency rooms after overdosing during the first 11 months of this year. The heaviest concentration of residents who sought help for overdoses live in a swath of Summit County served by Cleveland Clinic Akron General. Here today, to share with us what she's witnessed as the fight to stop the epidemic continues in Akron is Dr. Anne DeFrangia, a board-certified physician specializing in the treatment of substance use disorder with the Cleveland Clinic, Akron General, since 2011. So, doctor, welcome. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Okay. So, let's start off by just giving us an idea of the impact of the opioid epidemic in Summit County. In Summit County, um, I think what we have is what we have all over Ohio, but just more intense. Um, And, of course, every aspect of uh, our lives in Summit County has been changed. Of course, where the death rate is so high from overdose, but that's the end point. We're also seeing more children taken from their families than we have ever seen. Uh, We are seeing a uh, morbidity as well as mortality. We are seeing young people with heart complications, and some of them will not walk again due to uh, infection in their extremities. Some have affected their vision. Death is the end point, and we certainly can tell from our death rate how we've been impacted. But uh, the most vulnerable are also affected, which are children. As you know, we have um, one of the highest neonatal mortality rates, um, and certainly, um, you know, illicit drug use plays some role in that as well. So, Everyone has been affected. The, the uh, strain on the healthcare system, uh, when uh, sometimes there are no beds left in ICU for a stroke patient uh, because so many people, it happened in July of 2016, and there were so many people on ventilators waiting for families to come to say when it would be time. Yeah, there's just so many challenges, so many challenges. associated yes. with this mm-hmm. disease and with the epidemic in, in general. Oftentimes, the first opportunity that we have to get them help is in the ED after they've overdosed. So how does the Cleveland Clinic, Akron General, connect overdose victims with treatment they need right then after they've overdosed? 
Well, first assuming that the person who's overdosed wants treatment, and that's always sure. a big challenge. Yeah. So we give them the information, okay, and if they are willing, we make a direct referral. We have a good relationship with the ADM Crisis Center, so they can be uh, referred there should they want to go to residential. Um, we also have, thank, thank goodness, we have a great uh, computer system now so that we share records, and uh, we also have a, uh, a way to schedule that's much easier so that if someone wants to, let's say, come to ADRC, our um, chemical dependency treatment facility, um, they can get a, a referral directly from the ER. And we have social workers that uh, are in the emergency room who have direct access to us, can call us. Let's say somebody is really interested, they could get an appointment right from the ER. Oh, that's outstanding. I didn't know that you've already got social workers right there connected to the ED. Uh, there's a full-blown program called Anchor ED that has actual recovery coaches that are connected to the ED, um, whereby anybody that comes in and overdoses, bam, they're connected with them right away. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. And um, that's something we certainly are working on. And of course, we're going to, with the new emergency department uh, being built, we are hoping, and I can't say that, but we are hoping to see some uh, perhaps uh, beds in the emergency room reserved for those people who come in with an overdose so that they can be seen on an urgent basis also if should they wish to be in treatment. Sure. Medication-assisted treatment, or MAT, is called the gold standard for treatment. What options have you seen produce the best results in your practice, doctor? In, in our setting, yes, which has been um, outpatient setting, uh, which was at Edwin Shaw. Now we are the Alcohol and Drug Recovery Center. That's our new name. Oh. And uh, we, we helped with uh, the ADM Crisis Center and uh, had a pilot program where we used Suboxone. But in order to get uh, Suboxone, buprenorphine, Suboxone is only one brand of buprenorphine, but we had this program uh, where people came in and had intensive outpatient counseling. They got connected with a case manager. And uh, the medication-assisted treatment in combination with Social services and counseling had the best results as far as we saw. Now, later on, when fentanyl hit the street and the overdose rate was so high and the uh, overdose uh, reversal drug naloxone was not as effective, we began using um, extended-release injection or Vivitrol. And what I have seen is comparably they are similar. They're similar in 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 the back outcomes, in outcomes. Yeah. Now, as far as getting people in the door and enticing them to begin treatment, nothing works like buprenorphine. Why is that? Because it works quickly. We had literally hundreds of people come in. Some of them homeless. Some of them, you know, working. Who came in very very sick and in withdrawal, what they call dope sick. So they have to stabilize for a short period yes. of time. How long is that that they have to stabilize before they can go on to Suboxone? Stabilized to go on. Oh, they would come in. I would ask them to be 12 to 24 hours without an opiate. Then they would literally sit with us for as long as it took to get their withdrawal score just so high. You know, and then literally we would give them two doses. And within two hours, they were given a tray of lunch. Wow. They were eating. And uh, that worked the best because... It, it created a trust right from the beginning. It says, I promise, you know, the last thing they want is to be what they call dope sick. That is the trip to, through hell. Sure. 
And so when we say, I, I used to say to them, I make you a promise. You come in sick, and I promise you, you will not leave sick. I will not let you leave here sick. So what's next? They leave there. What mm-hmm. about the next day? The next day, the, they, they would see us within two days. But they also would see a counselor within 24 hours. Okay. okay. And then uh, they would begin intensive, uh, what they call intensive outpatient, which just means three to four days a week of intense counseling for several weeks, and then counseling once a week. And during that time, they get help getting sober housing. They get help maybe working with children's services to begin the process of visitation or custody again with their children. They learned skills they didn't know how to learn. These are some of these patients were doing quite well at one, many of them were doing quite well at one time in their lives. They had a car, they had access, and now they need to learn how to ride a bus and read a bus schedule. They need new life skills. They need to learn how to apply for food stamps so they get on their feet. Many of them had never been that poor before, and they've never been that sick and uh, physically sick as well. I, I like to, I'm, I'm family practiced by trade. Just the last uh, nine years, I've done only addiction medicine. So the other thing I think is the holistic approach that before they leave, they have a primary care doctor. They've been referred to a dentist. Okay, their basic human needs, their basic physical needs uh, are taken care of during that time that they're coming to us. How long should they be in treatment for withdrawal and for really for addiction to heroin, to opioids? Well, we hope that the first stage, which is getting out of withdrawal, should be pretty quick. If we use uh, buprenorphine, if we don't use buprenorphine, it'll take seven to 10 days. In seven to 10 days, they can be offered uh, maltrexone or vivitrol. Um, but generally speaking, they do very well right from the beginning of getting out of withdrawal, meaning let's say three weeks tops, where they're physically feeling better and back to normal, back to normal physically now, where they're not having all of the terrible uh, symptoms of uh, pain in the back and the legs and the cravings and the sweats. So, And then they go into maybe three months of counseling uh, treatment. For some people, it needs to go on for a long time, not just the counseling. Maybe they need counseling once a month for a year or two. We did, this really, you can only do this one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Just like not all diabetics are the same, neither are all opiate-addicted patients. Sure. So uh, I want to go through four different topics and get your thoughts there, doctor, on how important addressing these specific issues are um, to really solving this crisis that we're in. Okay. Um, first is healthcare reform. Can you comment on healthcare reform and doing something about where we stand today? Well, the most important thing in healthcare reform is that everybody be insured uh, so that when you need help, you can get it when you need it, as opposed to having to wait. And I think that's the number one thing. How about sharing of patient information between providers? So you have your, uh, your family practice there that, uh, that you've been in. Um, so you've got all of your records there. And then you've, you've also got a, uh, a recovery specialist and somebody that's helping them with their treatment over there. Um, where does that stand in terms of sharing that information back and forth? Right now, it's kind of silos that practicing yes. physicians have. Whereas if they share that information, it would be very valuable to the treatment to the patient, right? Absolutely. And I'm very happy to say that uh, Akron General, Cleveland Clinic Akron General is now uh, on EPIC 
uh, which is a um, electronic medical record in which we are, I, I can see the emergency room record. I can see the primary care records um, and uh, they can see ours. Okay. And on top of that, the patient has access also to their own record. Okay. So, so anybody so, in the system is yes. a physician is going to be able to see all of the providers. Yes. Unless there is some reason why that is not to be available. Somebody who's famous or <laughs> whatever. Somebody, if somebody chooses not to be, they could choose not to be. Okay. So how important is medication affordability as we move forward? It seems as though uh, the pharmaceutical companies just keep upping much of the medication there. It's uh, going out of sight. So how important is it that we address that? It's a top priority. Uh, it, it's affordability. It's um, ease of access. Um, I have two patients who have been very successful on maintenance dose of buprenorphine who happen to be over 60, okay, and are on Medicare. And they have received letters this month that it will not be covered effective January. It's no longer a formulary item. The panic that this creates, the thought that they will go back to that lifestyle, uh, it's devastating, okay? It's, this is a life-saving, these medications are life-saving. So to me, withholding this treatment for some is a death sentence. So what are their options for your two patients that find themselves in this situation? What are they going to do? Well, we do our best to uh, connect them to services um, uh, that are community-based, uh, but it is very, very difficult uh, to, to get uh, providers. There are many, many providers still for buprenorphine that are cash only, and the patients don't have the, the money to pay for the visits, and then they, they can't afford to pay for the medication. Um, we do the best that we can. In other words, we try to get them coupons, but still, patients don't have, many of them, their disease has brought them to financial ruin. Yeah. So what, there are patients that can't come to see us if we don't give them a free bus pass. They're not going to come up with $400 a month sure. to pay for a medication. Yeah. So to me, it's, it, to me, it's like withholding insulin from a diabetic. In Ohio, we expanded Medicaid, and expansion uh, allowed us to address, I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 people were able to get treatment yes. because of Medicaid expansion. So speak to that. How important is Medicaid expansion and maintaining that as we move forward? I can't even imagine what the death rate would have been without Medicaid expansion. I would tell you that 70% of the people that I see, at least, are on Medicaid. And uh, again, this disease brings you to financial ruin. Uh, it, it Just generally speaking, unless you have a family with the resources to, to support you, you will find yourself virtually, you could be homeless uh, or couch surfing, going from home to home, finding a place to stay, um, literally just going from house to house, wherever you can go. So Again, we're back to universal health coverage. Everybody needs to be insured, and all life-saving medication needs to be covered reasonably. Sure. Now let's move along to some new treatment options uh, that'll soon be available to treat substance use disorder. Um, there's um, probufine, a buprenorphine implant that um, Im the implant lasts about six months. And then there's sublocade, a new buprenorphine uh, injection that lasts a month. What are your thoughts on those two? 
I think that we can't have enough good options. Okay, so I uh, I love the quote of uh, someone in NIDA, National Institute of Drug Addiction. Says no one treatment works, you know, for everyone. Okay, and uh, and I, I think that's the key. So the more we have, the better. Now, as far as probufine, probufine is uh, an implant, um, and it does require a technique that you would need in an outpatient surgical center and requires um, an expertise on the part of the person doing it. In it, the press, it says that it's pretty simple and just takes 15 minutes to implant it. Well, that, so, word yeah. of caution? Word of caution on that. I, I took the classes for that, and I got the certification, and it takes much more than 15 minutes. And the 15-minute part is, number one, you have to create a sterile environment, get the person ready, okay? So that takes time. And then the setting this is not a, a, a typical office procedure because of the requirements. It requires outpatient, outpatient surgical techniques. And um, there are some uh, insurance blocks to that as well. It's very expensive. But, but it's, it's another tool in the toolbox. For some people, it would, be, it would be good, is all I'm saying. If you had a facility that um, maybe had one or two designated uh, providers that would do a lot of them and get good at them, and then maybe 15 minutes. Okay. There are, they are harder to take out, though, than they are to put in. Uh, <laughs> and that's right. something that is important. So to a know. word of caution if word of you're caution. going in that direction. Sure. Sublocade, any comments on Sublocade? Again, these are brand new, just coming on the market sure. right now. Sublocade is made by the same company that makes the Suboxone. So they've uh, been doing this for a while, and we've been waiting for this uh, injection uh, it is, it, it's approved, but it won't be available until February. And this is going to be a once a month injection. It will certainly uh, eliminate the problem of diversion. It will uh, eliminate compliance issues. Okay. It is uh, a safe. It's, it's as safe as taking the uh, oral form. Akron has been referred to by some as the epicenter of the opioid epidemic here in Northeast Ohio. What would you say, doctor, are the biggest challenges we face in turning the tide here in our community? I think that some the biggest are hard as Summit County tries, and they've this this community has been amazing in how it has galvanized. You know, we have law enforcement working with medical, who's working with social work working with pharmacies, uh, community uh, advocates like yourself, and everybody working together. And the biggest thing is still connecting all of these people and all of these resources. Housing is a big uh, issue as far as turning the tide. But in any, in any problem like this, there are two variables. One is availability, and the other is demand. And Akron, you know, because of Perhaps the, um, I, I, I like what Kinonia says in his book too, you know, Akron was one of the first place to have, to have employer-based um, health insurance. So people had a lot of access to health care, which means in the 80s, 90s, they had a lot of access to opiates too. So <laughs> the reference would be Sam Quinones, Quinones author, of Dream, author of Dreamland. Dreamland. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, but we're on our way in Summit County, but we, we have a, a long Way to go as far as stable housing, access to medication-assisted treatment. Our big, one of our biggest, um, we have to work with the insurance companies. We need to advocate 
for these patients, that there shouldn't have to be so many steps to go through. If I want to write a prescription today for 300 Percocets, I just write the prescription. It'll cost the patient about 10 bucks. Nobody asks me any questions. Okay, if I want to write for two buprenorphine films, mm-hmm. I have paperwork to fill out. And then I have to wait until that paperwork goes through and wait for a call. And even though that person is stabilized now and I want them to fill their prescription, they may have to wait 48 hours, wow. no matter what I do. So how long is 48 hours in the life of one of these people, one of these addicts that you're dealing with? I hate that word, but these yeah. people struggling with substance use disorder. Well, what I look, I'll tell you what it is. It's I now have a critically ill person. Critically ill means at any moment, their condition is so fragile they could die. So 48 hours is a very long time. Continuity of care has been recognized as a huge challenge for those in recovery. And even someone whose brains have not been hijacked by drug addiction, for them, you know, navigating our fragmented healthcare system for recovery can be a challenge. In other words, you know, advocates, even for people that advocate, it can be a challenge. So how do we fix that, our fragmented healthcare system? Well, and the system is really fragmented for two sets of people, the mentally ill and those with chemical dependency. I used, I talked to a a group of residents and I said, I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation. Your spouse, significant other comes home. You've had a big day. And um, he tells you that, you know, I've been wanting to tell you this. Uh, You know, those Percocets that the doctor gave me for my back and at first, I was having a hard time getting off them, but now I'm grinding them up and I'm snorting it up my nose. I think I have a problem. What do you think I should do? And you, the physician spouse, says, well, you need help. Yeah. And um, so what do you tell him? What should he do? Where should he go? And who do you call? I don't think that's generally, generally known. No. So they Those said, well, I that. said... You guys have your insurance cards with you? Yeah. Take it out. You'll find something. Even though you think you're covered by Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, take a look. Your mental health services and chemical dependency are carved out to a different provider. Hmm. Okay. So with most providers, it's carved out to a different provider. Right. Yeah. Some other provider. Yeah. So that's some extra steps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then there's different rules for those different providers. Okay, some of them cover residential only under certain conditions or, you know, but if if you woke up, let's say we woke up tomorrow and our eyes are blurry and we're thirsty and we're urinating too much. We go, oh, I Googled that. I think I have diabetes. Do You know, within 24 hours, you could get in with somebody. Yeah, sure. You either can go to urgent care you can go to, and everybody will know, oh, yes, this is what you have and this is what you need to do. Here's your instructions. Here's the beginning of your medication. Uh, Dr. So-and-so will see you in a, in, within a week. There is no chance of that happening. <laughs> Unless you go to the ED, right? Well, even if you go to the emergency room, okay? If you go to the emergency room, well, number one, people usually don't go to the emergency room saying, I have a problem. Can you help me? Right. They usually show up because they've overdosed. Somebody else brings them in or they're coming in complaining of pain or some other complication. The point is that our ERs are doing the best that they can, but they are emergency rooms. Okay, now things have changed. Every emergency room in this area knows how to refer someone. But the point is you still have to jump through hoops to get there. 
For example, if you're on Medicaid, everything is different from than if you have private health insurance because that's the way it's paid. That's the way it's set up. So that certain facilities can't take Medicaid. Some facilities only take Medicaid. So that there is no universal type of coverage for this, this problem. Even medication-assisted treatment. Some plans don't cover Vivitrol. Some plans do. One, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Or it changes. They say, well, we don't cover that brand anymore. Well, that's okay. We can change that. But it causes a problem. Or people change insurances. You change insurance, your prior auth changes. There's a hold in your prescription. It, the way we pay for health care is so broken. And then in Ohio, like in many other states, it's always been carved out. This started in the early 1900s. I believe it was the Harrison Narcotics Act. It said, look, we've had you know opiate addicts, and then there were morphine addicts mm-hmm. for a long time. This is our problem. The government will take care of this. This will come under a public health uh, issue and a criminal justice issue. And they made it illegal for a physician to write an opiate to help an opiate addict. Yeah. It became illegal. In fact, the few that bucked that were prosecuted. Yes. Yes, they were. And so then later on, of course, in the 50s, um, methadone uh, clinics were developed. But that's a federally qualified clinic. And when you go to get methadone for medication-assisted treatment, you may only go to that clinic, and you have to wait in line, sometimes with 500 other patients, and you wait to be dosed on site, show that you've taken it. It's a very complicated process. So, um, and, and you can't. And suppose you're doing great, and you've been going for years to a methadone clinic. You can't go to another physician and say, I'm only on 40, doses of methadone, 40 milligrams of methadone. Could you write this prescription for me? It's, it's a federal felony. How do we fix it? We need to, well, we need to fix that at the legislative level. Yeah. There is nothing that the medical profession can do, and there's really, and we also have to fix it at the insurance level. You know, a lot of this problem happened because all the good stuff that used to be done before the 1980s that was non-opiate treatment, insurance companies stopped paying for. <clears throat> I am old enough to remember when if you had a workers' comp case, literally patients would come in and said, if I don't keep refilling this Percocet, they will not believe that I'm really sick. They would literally bring them in and say, I don't take them. And you can talk to the to other uh, physicians that that was the problem. That's how you determine. Not if you showed up for physical therapy. Not, if, you know, it's like, well, if you're not in pain, then you should be working. Well, how do I prove I'm in pain? Well, are you filling your pain pills? Hmm. So it was, it, and then they stopped paying for massotherapy. They don't pay for acupuncture. They don't pay for electric stimulation. They don't pay for any of that. A lot to fix, isn't it? It's there? a lot to fix. Yeah. So I want to thank you for your time this evening, Doctor. It's, oh. uh, you're a wealth of information. So <laughs> what final thoughts would you like to share with our listeners uh, about the opioid epidemic and everything that you've witnessed? What I'd like to say about this epidemic, which is really a pandemic, because everything that we're seeing here in our country, in our state, in our city, is being seen all over the world right now. And I would like to leave everyone with the thought that, um, and, the, and the belief that these patients are not bad people trying to be good people. They are sick people trying to be well. And we need to do everything in our power to help them get well. 
Well, thank you, doctor. Really appreciate that. We've been joined this evening by Dr. Anne DeFrangia, who is a board-certified physician specializing in the treatment of substance use disorder with the Cleveland Clinic, Akron General. And she's been there since 2011. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.